Welcome to the Nature Reliance Podcast, where we explore the history and practical experience of the great outdoors and discover new ways to connect with nature. I'm Craig Cottle, your guide through the fascinating world of natural living and survival skills through experiential education and interviews. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nature Reliance School Online Membership, an immersive online learning experience designed for outdoor enthusiasts just like you. Are you passionate about the outdoors? Do you crave more knowledge about disaster readiness, wilderness survival, bushcraft, tracking, and nature awareness? If so, the Nature Reliance School online membership is your gateway to a community of like-minded individuals, all dedicated to learning and sharing essential outdoor skills. With the Nature Reliance School online membership, you get exclusive access to a wealth of resources, including expert-led tutorials, interactive webinars, and a library of engaging courses, downloadable books, and documents. Whether you're a beginner or an experienced outdoorsman, there's always something new to learn. So don't wait. Click on the link below to join the Nature Reliance School online membership today. Embrace the wilderness, enhance your skills, and become part of a community that values nature as much as you do. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Thank you for joining us for another Nature Reliance Media Podcast. We are adding sponsors and affiliate partnerships all the time, so be sure and check our website for an updated list. Going forward, we need your help. Be sure and like and follow the podcast, give us a great review, share with friends and family, and consider becoming a monthly sponsor. If there is a topic you wish for us to cover, please send us a message. and welcome to another episode of the Nature Reliance Media Podcast. Today, this is Craig Cottle. I'm going to be your host today. I wanted to dig into one of our forays into history. If you've listened to us very much at all, you know that we like to understand our history. Those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it, right? I really like digging into these things for several reasons. You know, Nature Reliance School as a whole has been known as a outdoor survival school, if you will. Wilderness survival. We do a, a considerable amount of obviously survival classes, land navigation coursework, as well as tracking and nature immersion and stuff that goes along with it. So I like to share things from history that help give us an indicator of some of the things that people have done that have just went past incredibly extreme circumstances and lived. And then I also want to just share some history. One of the things that I mentioned in the last last podcast was the thought of me working harder to do better research. That way I don't share things that are maybe just a narrative that people have created that is more legend than fact. I want to do what I can to share stories that are just factual because truth is a lot more interesting to me than fiction most often. Today is no different. Today is more about myth-busting than anything else. So I had the good fortune to meet uh, Miss Gwen and Mrs. Gwen Henderson. Mrs. Henderson is been, has been involved in archaeological stuff, if you will, in the state of Kentucky for a very long time. Uh, she's part of the Kentucky Native American Heritage Commission. Uh, she's done considerable writing. Today what I wanted to do was uh, pull something out of one of her books and the program that I went and listened to her discuss Native American peoples as they existed here in the state of Kentucky. 
Now, these people, uh, particularly the Shawnee, the Iroquois, they weren't from Kentucky. They're from different parts of the world. And so even if you're from Pennsylvania, for example, and you're listening, or you're from the Ohio, what we now call the state of Ohio, these are areas that a lot of the Native Americans I'm going to be speaking about today have come from. But specifically, what I wanted to discuss was the idea that Kentucky was known at some point in time as a dark and bloody ground. There's a lot of myths that surround the dark and bloody ground. It's been utilized in book titles. It's been utilized in blogs and people talking about it. And there's just a whole lot of myths that surround this idea of Kentucky and it being a lot of things that it actually never was. And so I wanted to get into those things. Actually, what uh, Miss Henderson has done and what I'm going to be borrowing heavily from, and I will share this in the description below or on the blog piece that's associated with this podcast. She wrote a book titled Native America, or Native America, the State-by-State Historical Encyclopedia, Volume 1, Alabama through Louisiana. She created a blog, and I'm leaning heavily upon this blog, so I'm going to link this blog in the description below as well. That way you can go to, directly to what it is that I'm sharing here. Anytime that you get an opportunity to pick up any resources that Gwen has put together, uh, go meet her and listen to her speak or anything of that nature, I highly recommend it. because She's got an incredible amount of of uh, knowledge that she shares. So the thought is this, and that sometime before European settlement and basically uh, other peoples that came into what we now call Kentucky, that Native peoples only hunted here in the state of Kentucky and utilized the land and its resources, but they actually never lived permanently anywhere in the Commonwealth. And, you know, I love using this word Commonwealth because a lot of people don't know that Virginia and Kentucky are only two Commonwealths in our nation. They're not actually states when they organize or organize as Commonwealths. And that is completely and totally false that Native American people never actually permanently lived here in Kentucky. We have a lot of archaeological evidence to the contrary to that. And that book that I mentioned earlier is one of those things that will uh, help you see a lot of what is here. Now, this myth, if you will, that Kentucky's native peoples or indigenous peoples call this area the dark and bloody ground is basically something that came up from pioneers. And it's been handed down through the generations for years now, for years, particularly for those that settled in central Kentucky, like uh, Harrisburg was the first settlement and Boonesboro came shortly thereafter that. These pioneers pass this on, and there's some reasons why it may have been passed on, and Gwen's detailed some things here I'm going to share with you. What is the source of this myth of a dark and bloody ground here of Kentucky? What we know, according to Gwen, is that in 1775, Dragon Canoe, who was a Cherokee leader, during treaty negotiations between the Cherokee Nation and Richard Henderson's Transylvania Company at the Sycamore Shoals, so there was a statement that was made. If, for those that are from Kentucky and you've heard of Transy or Transylvania, you probably know of the university that is in Lexington, Kentucky, Transylvania University. Well, you don't know the origin of that name is in Richard Henderson's Transylvania Company, which is much like a surveying company that came in and was documenting areas and surveying it and marking it off and what have you. Uh, there was a tremendous uh, amount of negotiations between the Cherokee Nation and the Transylvania Company at this time. 
Now, what happened was that these negotiations transferred a huge part of what is now Kentucky to that company, the Transylvania Company. Basically, as this transaction was completed, Dragon Canoe repeated, or reportedly said that a dark cloud hung over the land known as the Bloody Ground. Why he said this is basically, and, and how it continued to move on through the pioneers and the frontier, is where things change. Okay, so in 1775, the region was indeed very contested. I mean, there were a lot of entities that wanted part of or wanted Kentucky for its own. The Cherokee, obviously, along with other native groups, uh, used portions of Kentucky for uh, a lot of different things with permission from the Shawnee, who primarily lived in the Ohio country. They claimed most of Kentucky, but the Iroquois uh, who were encouraged by their English allies, wanted to claim it and control it as well. And if you're not familiar, I, this is another one that we can get into sometime, but the Iroquois is just an amalgamation of several different tribes itself. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hey, you. Yeah, you. I'm talking to you. You like this podcast, don't you? And you're thinking about doing a podcast yourself. Let me tell you how easy it is to do this with Anchor. First off, the money's right. It's free. Zero cost. Secondly, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Bonus, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Along with all this, the colonies of Virginia and North Carolina also laid claim to part of the region. And Henderson's new claim complicated everything and made it all screwed up. Henderson is saying that he owns it and... All these other entities who think they own it or have been utilizing it, and some of them for probably centuries perhaps, have been utilizing these areas and using them as their own. He's now laid claim to it. So Dragging Canoe's statement here implies that the region that Henderson was purchasing was linked to some sort of conflict. And it's really difficult to know, if not impossible to know, if Dragging Canoe was reciting historical fact or if his statement was meant as a warning about things that were to come. Now, as an amateur historian and lover of all things history, one of the things that we know is that for many years, many years later, Kentucky actually was what could easily be considered a dark and bloody ground. And so it is with that mindset that many people, think that that's what Dragon Canoe was alluding to, whereas some people took the message to be people have been fighting over this area for a long time and it's a dark and bloody ground and what have you. And so that is where the source of that myth started happening, is that particular statement right now. Now, one of the things that we also know is that uh, colonial speculators, land speculators, that is, the settlers who followed them, took Dragon Canoe's statement to mean that this conflict existed between the Indian groups over Kentucky and not between anybody else. It was just between the Native American people there. The land was not claimed by any of them. It was claimed by all of them, and they were utilizing. Therefore, 
if Kentucky was not the property of any particular inning group, the land speculators thought, hey, we could justify selling this free land to the settlers, and the settlers had every right to move in and establish farms. And that is the beginning of a lot of anguish for a lot of people. So it's, you know, it's very possible during the years immediately following 1775 the, that the conception of what we now know as Kentucky as a contested land was applied to the present and immediate past history of just the bluegrass region in central Kentucky, which is exactly where I live here. At that time, Native peoples had moved their farming villages north of the Ohio River and returned in small groups to hunt and camp during the winter. Now, prior to that, a lot of there's a lot of archaeological evidence that indicate that Native people lived here, and we'll get into that in just a minute. So it's it's really one thing to think that that the control of a particular re- this particular region had been disputed in the past or would be in the future. It is a different matter entirely to think Dragon Canoe's statement mean that Native peoples had always fought over and never lived in the area that is now Kentucky. Yet even before Kentucky became a state in 1792, this idea had really taken an just... It was just on, and everybody believed it. I mean, all of Kentucky was basically considered never the permanent home of any indigenous groups, and it, it basically merely a, a hunting ground, if you will, or the scene of some big battles back in the day. There's several reasons why this myth developed in the way that it did. The first is that th- there was a huge difference between the colonists and the native people's conception of land ownership. Think about it. Native peoples didn't consider land ownership by building a fence and this and that and and things recorded at a courthouse. They lived for incredibly long periods of time without any of that existing. Whereas when the European settlers came in, it changed things entirely. Now, the distinctions that the settlers noticed between historic American Indian peoples they encountered and the remains, things like burial mounds and the stone tools and all the things that we found in the fields as we were growing up, when I say we, me and my family, we found a bunch of these things. Think about Mount Sterling, Kentucky. I mean, one of the the mounds that's more easily seen by a lot of people is the mound that exists right next to the what's getting ready to be the new Freedom Church. Uh, that's the church that Tracy attends over in Mount Sterling. Think about that. There's a mound right there at the end of that parking lot. I, I really don't know the exact history of that mound. But that is an Indian burial mound of some sort, and maybe they excavated and got everything out of it. I don't really know, but it's right there in front of everybody. And so something to consider. These mounds that we have been discovered throughout the state in different locations are, are indicators that people lived here. As I sit here with right now recording this podcast, I'm in the area of Trap, Kentucky. And if I were to get up and fly a drone from where I'm sitting right now about a mile east of my current position... I would be overlooking two Indian mounds that I'm very familiar with that are not part of, you know, a large historical record that hardly anybody knows are here. So another thing is that the economic benefit that colonial land speculators like the Henderson's company, the Transylvania company, got from continuing to encourage this myth. And that was problematic. The, you know, the violent conflicts that took place between Indian peoples and the colonists in the 1770s and 1780s was incredibly encouraging to this idea of this myth 
And so these are all reasons that this myth has got started and continued to grow. Now, there was a circulation of a book in 1784 that was titled The Discovery, Settlement, and the Present State of Kentucky. Kentucky spelled K-E-N-T-U-C-K-E. And that was written by John Filson, who referred to Kentucky as the middle ground. And he referred to it as the middle ground throughout the book, except in two very important instances where he called it the dark and bloody ground. And as an object of contention, a theater of war from which it properly denominated the bloody ground. So these are all reasons that this myth persisted. Now, just an item of interesting uh, current note, there is a song, if you're a big Tyler Childers fan, which I'm not a, I wasn't a big Tyler Childers fan until I discovered this as I was researching for this podcast. Tyler Childers has a new song out called The Middle Ground, which is actually about Simon Kenton's life. So uh, listen to that. I listened to it today right before the podcast. It's, it's good stuff. What I want to do now is, and I'm going to just go ahead and break because I'm going to start breaking these up into smaller digestible segments. And we'll leave you with this today, just looking at how this myth got started, where it came from, and what I want to dig into in the next podcast and when you, when you return on part two is why does this myth persist today and what other things can we do to help bust this myth? Tune in for part two and we're going to myth bust this whole charade that's come about with the dark and bloody ground and see where it takes us. So thanks for joining me here. As always with Nature Reliance School, come on, join in. Let's learn together. And that wraps up another fantastic episode of the Nature Reliance Podcast. I hope today's journey has inspired you to explore and connect with the natural world in new and exciting ways. Before I say goodbye, remember to check out the Nature Reliance School online membership. If today's episode sparked your interest in wilderness skills and outdoor adventures, this online community is the perfect place for you to start or continue your journey. You can currently sign up for a year for only $99 and get two months for free. Click the link below to discover a world of expert-led courses, engaging content, and a vibrant community eager to share their knowledge and experiences. Whether you're starting your outdoor journey or looking to deepen your existing skills, the Nature Reliance School online membership is here to guide you. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe for more adventures and share this podcast with your fellow nature enthusiasts. Until next time, come on, join in. Let's learn together.